0: Hello everyone and welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show where we demonstrate that everything, simply everything you could possibly think of, has its own history. Like pigs, parsley or mistakes. I think you're quite wrong there Sam, I think you've made a mistake there. There can't be a history of mistakes.
1: That sounds like one of our homeschooling episodes. Or, Hitting, Knitting and Sitting fitting, flitting and outwitting. I'd love to do (laughs) the idea of outwitting the scarlet pimpernel or something like that. That would be brilliant. Mm. However, we digress as ever, but we are in festive mood. We will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, who knew that the history of obscenity is in fact all about Christmas via rude ice sculptures, snowball fights between soldiers, name-calling in the 17th century in Bradnich, or puritanical attitudes in 19th century America, or that the history of smoke is all about statecraft and diplomacy. It's about ritualised smoking of the peace pipe, and it's all to do with smuggling and public execution. In fact, I've been going through our back catalogue, Sam, and would you believe, would you believe, we have done now over 200 episodes of Histories Hmm. of the Unexpected. And I think in the whiz and whir of our working <laughs> i i've lost for words there so i really am but uh, but it just sort of lost with the idea that we've done 200 episodes i think we missed that milestone i don't think oh. we've celebrated it
0: properly i think we should do that now we well yeah okay let's Hurrah. do that now well done us Hooray. <laughs> <Hurrah>. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> well done us um you're probably wondering who this man is talking to me let me just say that if history was a wild herd of reindeer Frolicking on the tundra of Svalbard, this man would be the ancient, wise herder, cloaked in reindeer skin, booted in reindeer boots, hair slicked with reindeer oil—a wild shaman of the great history herd itself. He is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James Daybell. Hello, James.
1: Hello, Sam. And oh, I'm I'm full of Christmas cheer. Actually, <laughs> it's the last day of term. Uh, I have a three-hour class to teach. I have some paperwork to do, and then I am. Um, which is brilliant but the man sitting opposite me because we are social distancing in these grim days of lockdown well let's just say if he were an elf if he were an elf who was the maestro of Reindeer Keeper he'd only be Patch himself played by Dudley Moore in that brilliant movie Santa Claus the Movie that creative (laughs) and inventive elf that brilliant elf who could turn his hand to anything including amazing maritime history. Uh, it is your favourite famous historical adventurer, Dr Sam
0: Willis. Thank you very much. Um, hello okay. everyone. We are doing reindeer. It's one I've wanted to do for ages and uh, we're carrying on our Christmassy themes. I hope you're enjoying them all. Um, this is going to be a a, um, a main full episode as opposed to one of our little micro history fun things. Um, so we're going to try and take down for you the extraordinary history of Reindeer, Daybell. Where would you like to begin?
1: Oh well, Sam, you know me. I'm an old softy, and I'm I'm full of Christmas cheer. So I'm going to start with the history of Santa Claus' reindeer. I'm afraid, though, a spoiler alert, uh, there is also in this uh, some myth busting about Father Christmas's reindeer. Just in case uh, there are some children listening. Um, so um, the idea behind Santa Claus' reindeer, as we all know, is a sort of it's a very Sort of traditional uh, festive legend. The idea is that he uh, he travels around the world delivering presents to boys and girls who've been naughty, uh, who've been nice, not naughty. Um, and he is <laughs> his, his sleigh is pulled through the sky by his reindeer. And we know uh, the commonly cited names of those reindeer are Dasher and Dancer, Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid, Donner and Blitzen. And of course, Rudolph comes slightly later, but he's not one of the first reindeer. He's an invention in the 1930s, and I'm going to talk about that a little later on. Now, of course, these names are literary fictions, as of course you know. And one of the most um, well-known ones, or probably lesser-known ones, uh, is a book that came out in the in 1821, which included a poem. Titled "Old Santa Claus" with much delight, and this is this precedes the "Twas the Night Before Christmas," the Clement C. Moore uh, poem uh, that we've talked about in the past. It is the first publication, and also the first publication to illustrate. Father Christmas's reindeer and sleigh and it describes him arriving on Christmas Eve and it's a lovely little manuscript that still survives if you google it you can see it there's a beautiful illustration of Father Christmas on a green sleigh with with little baskets of of toys and and the message rewards uh, on the back of the sleigh and only one reindeer a reindeer who has antlers. Father Christmas looks rather rather weird. He looks like a sort of red uh cossack uh here. He's got a little red jacket with little um brown buttons and a and a brown beard and brown um sort of what looks like a sort of trapper's beaver hat on. He looks very dashing here. Um but I just want to read you uh, a little extract uh, from this poem, just to give you a, a sort of sense of it. It's thought that it might be have been by Clement Seymour, but we don't really know because it's entirely anonymous and it predates the more famous poem, uh, which is a couple of years later. Old Santa Claus with much delight, his reindeer drives this frosty night, o'er chimney tops and tracks of snow to bring his yearly gifts to yo, <laughs> that doesn't quite work there that rhyme i i should i should uh, cr- critique that the steady friend of virtuous youth the friend of duty and of truth each christmas eve he joys to come where love and peace have made their home through many houses he has seen and various beds and stockings seen some white as snow and neatly mended others that seemed for pigs intended. Where'er I found good girls or boys that hated quarrels, strife and noise, I left an apple or a tart or wooden gun or painted cart. To some I gave a pretty doll, to some a peg-top or a ball, no crackers, cannons, squibs or rockets to blow their eyes up or their pockets, no drums to stun their mother's ear, nor swords to make their sisters fear, but pretty books to store their mind with knowledge of each various kind. But where I found the children naughty, in manners rude, in temper haughty, thankless to parents, liars, swearers, boxers or cheats, or fo- base tale-bearers, I left a long black birch and rod, such as the dread command of God directs a parent's hand to use when virtue's path his sons refuse. He's a very puritanical Father Christmas here, isn't it? Not leaving any fun toys at all and and leaving a rod uh, for a parent to beat a wayward and naughty child. So this is one of the first um, literary depictions that we have of Father Christmas with his reindeer, Uh, a beautiful uh, pen illustration of it. Um, But more famously, these the names of Father Christmas's reindeer come from a very famous 1823 poem, uh, "A Visit from St Nicholas," which is commonly uh, called uh, "The Night Before Christmas" by Clement C. Moore. And this poem, I think, is is really well known. I read it every year to my children at Christmas, and this is where we get uh, the name from of the reindeer, and I just want to read the little relevant segment of the poem here. When what to my wondering eyes should appear But a miniature sleigh, an eight tiny reindeer, with a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be Saint Nick, more rapid than eagles his course as they came, And he whistled and shouted, and called them by name Now Dasher, now dancer, now prancer and vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Dunder, and Blitzen to top of the porch, to top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all as dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly when they meet with an obstacle mount to the sky. So up to the housetop, the coursers they flew. So we not only get the sense of them being named, but also we see them landing on a chimney, landing on a roof, going down the chimney and then flying through the sky. But these are not the only names that were given to... The reindeer, because L. Frank Baum, he of Wizard of Oz fame, in his Life and Adventures of Santa Claus in 1902, includes a list of 10 reindeer. Uh, They're slightly different. They are, they're slightly different. They're flossy and glossy. Um, And then there are others racer and pacer, fearless and peerless, ready and steady feckless and
0: speckless do you know what james (laughs) those are a list of your suggestions for histories of the unexpected no 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 they (laughs) they should they should should be we should
1: do all of them as christmas let's do
0: fearless and (laughs) fearless yes (laughs) however (laughs) one of my
1: favorite uh one of my favorite recent christmas books that has a um uh, reindeer in it is uh you've probably have you ever read this the empty stocking Uh, One of the best Christmas books uh, of the last 20 years, I'd say, by the brilliant Richard Curtis and illustrated by a brilliant children's illustrator called Rebecca Cobb. I came across her illustrations years ago and I met her a couple of times. One as a book signing and one at a uh, a book award. And I I sort of was a very sort of fanboy about her. Um, She's uh, so, so talented. The illustrations of it are just brilliant and they work so well with the with the words but it's it's basically the empty stocking is a story about two children who are twins one has been naughty one has been nice and father christmas arrives and leaves an empty stocking um in the you know on one of the beds and the story goes on from there i won't spoil it but there is this wonderful description of father christmas's reindeer um he landed in the garden Place the hungry reindeer near a tasty hedge. And then in brackets, By the way, look out for that next year if you've got a garden. You'll normally find that a bit of it has been mightily munched on Christmas morning. <laughs> so it's sort of Santa Claus's reindeer brought straight up to date. Wonderful. Um, so there we are, Sam. The history of uh, history of Father Christmas's reindeer.
0: That's right. So um, one way of looking at this, uh, this wonderful subject... Um, it's amazing to think about how, you know, how all these wonderful creative people throughout time just sitting down and, and doing it. And, um, you know, it's a completely valid way of studying history. You can literally... You could you could write a PhD on the way that um, uh, the, the Christmas story, and particularly his reindeer, has passed down to us in present day, if you were interested in that. James would yes. supervise it.
1: <laughs> I would supervise it. I would supervise it.
0: Um, other ways of looking at reindeer um, are... Um, I, I, I was given the um dangerous book for boys as a kind of ironic joke <laughs> being an adult uh, many years ago when it came out and it was super famous by con and Hal it it's a great thing and it's based on um a established tradition of uh, sort of adventurous literature for boys um going back to the mid 19th century and uh, i've come across one of them uh which and i had a quick flick through it to see how, how it dealt with the natural world and um And it's got a fantastic section on reindeer. Um, This is the Wild Sports of the World book, a boy's book of natural history and adventure by James Greenwood. And it was published in 1862. Now, if you ever have a chance to look at one of these, I do recommend you do. Uh, Make sure you look at the introductions because they're absolutely brilliant. They tell you so much about uh, people's perception of um, well, if written in England of of uh, of the UK at the time, this is the introduction to this book, "The Wild Sports of the World: The History of a Nation Like Ours." The secret of its vast successes <laughs> is not to be written in a word or sought in any one or any dozen qualities. But if we had to choose amongst the philosophers who pretend to have traced the national life to its source, there are not many of us who would not declare for those who find the secret in adventure. It is simply an historical fact that England was born of adventure. It was this spirit in the great old Scandinavians, from whom we have the honour to descend, which scattered amongst the oaks of Britain, a people that took as kindly to its soil as they, and which in a thousand years had lost none of the fiber that pulled the old beaked galleys over the terrible North Sea so there we are <laughs> a fantastic starting point for the uh, uh, the this this sports book and I think it's basically accepting and appreciating that all English people are related to Vikings I think that's the whole purpose of that and the author is obviously quite focused on our northern links and spends a really large amount of his time writing about reindeer. There's all sorts of wonderful reindeer-related information. Not least, why are reindeer important to native inhabitants of the chilly north of Lapland and um, northern Finland? Spitsbergen, in the Svalbard archipelago off the north coast of Norway. So, again, as perceived in 1862. uh, Habitat of the reindeer. What the horse is to us is the reindeer to the swarthy-faced, stunted inhabitant of Lapland or Spitsbergen. (laughs) The reindeer is the lap's cow and sheep and ox and ass rolled into one. It furnishes him with roofing for his house, not her. It furnishes him with roofing for his house, with flooring for ditto, with a bed to lie on, with clothes and shoes, with cordage and strings to his bow, with meat dried and fresh, with milk liquid, or in preserved and frozen lumps and with blood puddings. By the reindeer, the Laplander lives and moves and has his being... Reindeer is with him but another term for wealth and as exactly represents it as does gold in the ordinary commercial sense – the man lap and the woman lap alike adopt the skin of this precious member of the deer family as clothing material and both wear precisely the same shaped garments. A pair of breeches is cut from the skin of a fawn, sewn with fine gut strings with a reindeer bone needle. A pair of deer hide stockings are drawn over the feet and secured above the knee by deer thong garters, while the hairy coat stripped from the back of the deer and transferred to that of the lap is converted into a pelisse by a very simple process. The fags and hanging pieces are just trimmed off, a big hole cut in the centre for the head and two smaller ones for the arms. And the garment is complete and together with the breeches and stockings thoroughly equips the lady or gentleman lap. Then he continues, he carries on with this wonderful idea of um, reindeers being not only another term for wealth, but actually exactly represents it like gold does uh, to, to the British at the time. As may be imagined, the constant demand by the Laps family for reindeer is not met by the possession of a mere half dozen animals. Twenty, forty, fifty is held to be an insignificant number. Indeed, when a man possesses the latter number, he invariably lends them and comp- And himself to a large proprietor, until by his earnings and the natural course of events, the herd amounts to a hundred. Then he has the right to the title of a free reindeer lap and becomes an independent member of society. By industry and clever bartering, some laps will amass a thousand head of deer, some indeed nearly two thousand. But these are the bearings and Rothschilds of Lapland society and are treated as such. So there we are. I love that idea, James, of the reindeer not just being um, an animal that can carry you somewhere, but as currency, and also the reindeer as a status symbol. Very interesting and important indeed. Anyway, all all of this, of course, is wrapped up in um, a story about commercial publishing. So, yes, these are, are telling us about laps or what people understood about laps in the 1860s, but also you need to think about them as being... Acknowledged and supported as successful stories that would appeal to young boys in the UK in the third quarter of the 19th century. So there are two layers of history here, and one of them is actually all to do with publishing.
1: Oh, Sam, what a seamless link into my (laughs) own
0: uh, expose on.
1: Uh, on on commercial publishing because we left the very exciting story of Father Christmas's reindeer back in the 19th century. Um, However, you'll notice that there were only only nine reindeer, I think, and no Rudolph. And so what I want to talk about now...
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
1: is the invention of the very famous uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is a song that we all know. We all know from our childhood nowadays, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's been a, f- a book, it's been a film, it's been a song, a, a, but it started as a, as a marketing experiment. Now, so I want to take you back to the time of the Great Depression. And... A retailer uh, in Chicago called Montgomery Ward um, was basically wondering what to do for their Christmas season, what to do in their department stores. And they thought that it would be a really good idea if for all the American children at the time, they had a Christmas story that could go out in all of their stores. So what they do, they go to their ad man. Uh, and they say, you know, guy, can you, you know, can you come up with a story for us? Um, and this is a guy who is, is uh, Robert Louis May, and this is somebody who's in his sort of thirties at this point. I think he had aspirations to be a, a sort of great writer, to write the great American novel, and he finds himself basically writing copy for marketing uh, for this um, for this um, retailer. Um, but what he does is he he goes off and spends a few weeks thinking about this and he comes up with the idea of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And we all know that Rudolph the Re- Red-Nosed Reindeer has no friends and then suddenly comes back and saves the day for Father Christmas. And in some ways, what he's doing here is he is encapsulating the American dream for children. I mean, uh, Effectively, that anyone from anywhere can... If they, you know, if they're possessed with sort of special qualities or not, is able to make a real success. So this unfortunate little reindeer with an odd red-coloured nose, you know, comes and saves the day for Father Christmas. And this is something that, uh, you know, has real sort of meaning for American children. There's a, a lot of cultural significance about it. But I want to say a little bit about um, the idea of the the red nose. Where does the red nose come from? And apparently when May was sort of wondering, you know, about the story and how to sort of depict uh, little Rudolph, he was apparently you know, looking out of his office one day in, in Chicago in the downtown area. And it was really foggy. And apparently it hit him like a flash of lightning. I know. Um, and he's quoted saying, suddenly I had it. Um, a nose, a bright red nose, that would shine through fog like a spotlight. And there you have it. Um, the Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. Now, apparently he he took this to his boss, and his boss read the story, and he said, Can't you come up with anything better? You know, how disappointing. Nonetheless, May goes off, um, he's really sort of keen on the story. He goes off to a colleague in the art department, and the the guy uh, puts together a series of sketches and drawings uh, that would illustrate his book, and together they manage to convince the boss that they should put this forward, that they should publish it. And get this, they then print two million copies of it, and they send it out in branches all over the country. And That's a big gamble, right there. It's, it's a big gamble, but <laughs> it is a but it is a huge hit. It's a huge hit, and they've got a. There's a map um, in the archives of the distribution of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and it goes through each and every one of the 50 states in in the U.S. And it is a huge success. Um, The problem is, as you can imagine um may doesn't uh get any of the royalties out of this. He's basically been asked to to write it. These millions of books um are sold, the profit goes to uh the company and you know there there's also a, a sort of a, a quite a sad side to this because he's in his 30s, his wife is ill. Um she suffers from cancer. Um he's down on his luck. He he's quite, you know, hard up. And then the CEO of the company, a guy called Sewell Avery, in the period after World War Two, decides that he will give the rights of Rudolph to may, and you know we don't quite know why I mean there's some sort of romantic associations um that you know the good spirited um you know c e o you know full of sort of Christmas cheer bequeathed it to him but I you know uh, one doesn't necessarily buy that however with these rights he takes it along to his brother-in-law who is a songwriter so he and his brother-in-law team up and he persuades his brother-in-law to write the song Rudolph the well-known song that we know today and then the song is is bought by the singing cowboy Gene Autry, and do you know how I many be a singing cowboy? Do you know how many songs, <laughs> how many copies were sold? Twenty five million, oh,
0: and, you know when was and it, a, what time is this? What this is this is, is post
1: post World War post World War two, so mm-hmm. we're looking at the nineteen forties, nineteen fifties, and it then gets made into a, 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 an animation film. Um, and so I suppose Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is itself a story that is part of the American dream. You know, this hard-luck oh. copywriter stuck in a dead-end job writing copy for advertising uh, magazines, you know, suddenly discovers this great um, this great idea for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, he gets given the rights. He then turns it into a song with his brother-in-law. It gets picked up by a... You know, famous country and western singer and, you know, multi-million selling and he's and he's absolutely uh, fit. But we couldn't end without a rendition of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, could we? You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donna and Blitzen, but do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer... <laughs> Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Then how the reindeer loved him, loved him, and they shouted out with glee, Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, you'll go down in history. There we are. Did you like that? That was was brilliant. It was all right, wasn't it? I'm afraid, though, Sam, I have a spoiler for you now about this. So, children block your ears now. This is only for adults because I've been doing a little bit of detective work and I have discovered the science of Santa's reindeer, uh, courtesy of the Franklin Institute. Now, I've got a series of questions to see if we prove that Father Christmas's reindeer exists. Do reindeer exist? That's your basic question. Yes, of course they do. They're also known as caribou. They're a member of the deer family uh they live in herds of a few hundred so there are there are apparently about the largest herd numbers between forty four hundred thousand and a million now second question do they live at the north pole this is important for detecting uh whether father christmas actually had reindeer no the north pole is in the middle of the usually covered arctic ocean which makes it very hard for terrestrial animals to reach so there we're disproving it on that do they have red noses this one will interest you sam willis um yes some really do did you know that some really do and maybe may was actually drawing on that uh, evidence rather than the fog outside he actually knew that Mm. they um that their noses have a red tingle because, and I quote, of the presence of a highly dense and rich nasal microcirculation. In other words, they've got all sorts of blood vessels in the nose. Um, Importantly, though, we need to consider whether they can fly. Um... No. Reindeer are mammals. Thank you for Uh, that, Uh, The only mammals that fly (laughs) are bats. Oh, Um, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. If they could fly, so here's a sort of counterfactual um, question. If they could fly, could they pull a sleigh? Um, Possibly, yes. uh, But pulling Santa's sleigh is very, very different. If you consider all the trillion or so... Uh, presents and toys <laughs> that would be there. Probably not. It would be far too far too busy. So I'd have like a million tons. Um. Also, what about Santa's famous reindeer cr- crew? And here's the kicker, Sam. Because we know these all male this all male team of nine reindeer: Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donna, Blitzen, plus Rudolph. Okay, they're all male. However. They all are shown with antlers. Now, here's the thing. Did you know that reindeer are the only deer where both males and females grow antlers? But adult males shed their antlers around Christmas time. Hmm. And this is the thing. Uh, Santa's team are basically all girls. Ah. Or they don't exist. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, we could, of course, consider that.
1: However, but, what we haven't taken into account for uh, is magic feed for reindeer, which, of course, would make them fly. Yes. So, I'll bear that know. in mind. Anyway, um, I, I put in that that deeply historical. Uh, <laughs> Mythbuster there.
0: (laughs) No, there was a bit of history in there. There was a bit of history about the guy who wrote it, whether he knew where there was going to be red noses or not, which advances, which I can tell us about his understanding of uh, the natural world back in the 1950s or whenever it was written. Were any of them uh, ever trapped and murdered, do you reckon? No, but I imagine that's
1: where you're going next.
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> you know what um i was enjoying my my laps in the 1860s and uh, the obvious point to raise is if they were so precious to uh, the laps and um the eskimo how did they protect them well what they actually did was th- their main the main predator was wolves and uh, this is a little description of how eskimo traps wolves to protect their reindeer The, The Eskimo, whose sledge dogs and reindeer are in hourly peril, construct an ingenious trap for their most terrible enemy. It is indeed fashioned on exactly the same principle as the familiar square wooden mouse trap only that the sides and roof are made of slabs of ice and the front, instead of being wire, is likewise of ice and slides up and down in grooves. The sliding front is raised and secured by a string which passes through the back of the trap and is attached to a hook within the icy walls on which the bait is hung. At the very first nibble, the transparent door is released and slides down with a crash and the Eskimo leisurely knocking a hole in the wall of the trap just large enough to insert his spear thrusts at the helpless wolf till it dies. Ooh, pretty nasty there. Made me ask this other more important question, James, is how do you trap a reindeer? And there are all sorts of reindeer hunting. So we've talked about reindeer herding. Reindeer hunting um, is absolutely fascinating. There's a really interesting archaeology to it. So if you think about the Scandinavian Peninsula, you need to realise that the uh, the high mountains gradually became deglaciated about uh, 10,000 years ago, and almost immediately new land is created, new land is revealed from uh, what was uh, the, the ice cap before, and it's not long before they're inhabited by populations of, of reindeer, of the, the type that exist on tundra, and they are forced often to leave their original traditional coastal lowland feeding grounds, as a result of um, forest formation and other landscape changes. So what you've got is reindeer moving around in enormous herds. So how do you hunt them? How do you actually catch these things? So... There are two main strategies, and it's quite common for um, any other large game hunting. Firstly, with uh, hunting with bow and arrow, usually uh, from a short range, usually within 25 to 30 metres, or by collective drives where you push a herd of reindeer and you sort of corral them into a fenced area um, where they're trapped and then they can be killed. But there's one other solution, and it's by using something called a pitfall. And pitfalls are, are, you dig a hole in the ground, essentially, along the migration routes of the reindeer. And that, it's a called a passive way of hunting. It means that the reindeer essentially traps itself. Um, they are... So they're traps sunk into the ground. They're artificially dug cavities. They're often stone lined. Occasionally, they have impaling stakes. Uh, although interestingly, um, some archaeological excavation uh, of some recently has did not discovered any any such impaling stakes. What they actually want to do is to preserve the reindeer in, in as good a condition as possible before they can um, they can kill it in a in a more controlled way. Um, there are thousands of these pitfalls throughout the Scandinavian peninsula, and they've been recognised and understood as prehistoric monuments since the 1840s. But interestingly, very few indeed have actually been excavated. So this is a bit of a, course, uh, a call to all of you Scandinavian archaeologists out there, please get out there and start excavating your reindeer pitfalls, because I reckon there'll be all sorts of wonderful stuff in and around them. One of the great things about archaeology is when you dig a hole, then you've got to chuck all the or the mud that you've dug out, and it's in those soil piles that you find a lot of evidence that help you to date date the hole and also to have little artifacts in there. so you know what do you do with this understanding? So yes, you'll be able to might find evidence of the people doing the actual digging. Um, but if you can actually uh, map and you can use GPS to plot where these pitfalls are, then you can create recreate. Um, the movements of reindeer at a certain period of time it's a really really clever way of understanding how the landscape was used how the landscape changed and actually the movements of huge herds of reindeer across immense areas of land so there you go Um, these reindeer pitfalls all throughout Scandinavia are just waiting to be excavated waiting to be discovered and um, and have some super super clever history and archaeology written about them um, been known as, as I said since the 1840s, but no one's actually done anything about them. So um, well, that's your, ne- your maybe your next project, Sam. Yeah, yeah. Reindeer I think, pits. Uh, I, I, reindeer <clears throat> pits. I think so. Um, let's leave it there for now.
1: It's been a while. Wonderful... However, before we do, I have some interesting reindeer facts for you hmm. to show you that they are sort of quite almost magical creatures. <laughs> Did you know that reindeer have colour changing eyes? Hmm. So they have a different, different sort of colour eye in the. In the summer, when their eyes are gold and when winter comes around, they turn blue because it it means that they're able to um, to see much better in reflected light. They're also the only animals able to see ultraviolet light. Um, They also float. They're able to float, which is extraordinary. And they have clicky knees. Did you know that (laughs) when they walk around, their knees make an audible click? Uh, presumably so that other animals can hear them uh, in the snow uh, this is all courtesy these brilliant facts of the Franklin Institute so thank you guys uh, yeah. for that for enlivening uh, my, <laughs> enlivening my life actually I need to know about, about reindeer mm. I think well, that's probably enough for this little part I've got tons
0: more on reindeer good good we're looking forward to it uh, we're Excellent. going to come back with a, with a part two I'm going to talk about some, oh, some, some reindeer hunting sites in Svalbard and I'm going to talk about one of the best Arctic rescue stories ever in the whole history of history and it involves reindeer that's coming your way soon um hope you're enjoying that do please follow us on twitter i'm at dr sam willis um, and if you like maritime and naval history which i hope you all do please check out my new podcast the mariners mirror podcast
1: love a bit of uh, maritime history myself uh but you can also follow me on twitter on at james daybell you can follow the pod on at unexpected pod we are also on instagram and facebook So check us out there. Also, have a look at our brilliant website, historiesoftheunexpected.com, where you can see everything that we are up to. And as we are continuing this massive plug for all that we do, also think of us uh, on Patreon. Uh, We have a Patreon page which helps support the podcast and we're doing so many episodes at the moment and the production costs uh for that uh, all need to be paid for so um you know help us out if you can guys
0: yeah any teachers out there do please check out the homeschooling episode they're fun and we're going to be doing some more of them next year that's it for now guys see you soon bye happy christmas guys